Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Elaniolo with arguments he could not answer. He turned round sharply to Urbino as though to ask him his opinion. The fellow began to bawl out in his rustic way. I will never leave my master Michelagnolo's side till I shall have flayed him, or he shall have flayed me. These stupid words forced me to laugh, and without saying farewell, I lowered my shoulders and retired. Chapter 82 The miserable bargain I had made with Bindo Altoviti, losing my bust and leaving him my capital for life, taught me what the faith of merchants is. So I returned in bad spirits to Florence. I went at once to the palace to pay my respects to the duke, whom I found to be at Castello, beyond Ponte Arifredi. In the palace, I met Messer Pier Francesco Ricci, the majordomo, and when I drew nigh to pay him the usual compliments, he exclaimed with measureless astonishment, Oh, are you come back? And with the same air of surprise, clapping his hands together, he cried, The duke is at Castello, then turned his back and left me. I could not form the least idea why the beast behaved in such an extraordinary manner to me. Proceeding at once to Castello, and entering the garden where the duke was, I caught sight of him at a distance. But no sooner had he seen me than he showed signs of surprise, and intimated that I might go about my business. I had been reckoning that his excellency would treat me with the same kindness, or even greater, as before I left for Rome. So now, when he received me with such rudeness, I went back, much hurt, to Florence. While resuming my work and pushing my statue forward, I racked my brains to think what could have brought about this sudden change in the Duke's manner. The curious way in which Messer Sforza and some other gentlemen close to His Excellency's person eyed me, prompted me to ask the former what the matter was. He only replied with a sort of smile, Benvenuto, do your best to be an honest man, and have no concern for anything else. A few days afterwards, I obtained an audience of the Duke, who received me with a kind of grudging grace, and asked me what I had been doing at Rome. To the best of my ability, I maintained the conversation, and told him the whole story about Bindo Altoviti's bust. It was evident that he listened with attention, so I went on talking about Michele Agnolo Buonarroti. At this he showed displeasure, but Urbino's stupid speech about the flaying made him laugh aloud. Then he said, Well, it is he who suffers, and I took my leave. There can be no doubt that Sir Pier Francesco, the Major Domo, must have served me some ill turn with the Duke, 
which did not, however, succeed. For God, who loves the truth, protected me, as he hath ever saved me, from a sea of dreadful dangers, and I hope will save me till the end of this my life, however full of trials it may be. I march forward, therefore, with a good heart, sustained alone by his divine power, nor let myself be terrified by any furious assault of fortune or my adverse stars. May only God maintain me in his grace. Chapter 83 I must beg your attention now, most gracious reader, for a very terrible event which happened. I used the utmost diligence and industry to complete my statue, and went to spend my evenings in the Duke's wardrobe, assisting there the goldsmiths who were working for His Excellency. Indeed, they laboured mainly on designs which I had given them. Noticing that the Duke took pleasure in seeing me at work and talking with me, I took it into my head to go there sometimes, also by day. It happened upon one of those days that His Excellency came as usual to the room where I was occupied, and more particularly because he heard of my arrival. His Excellency entered at once into conversation, raising several interesting topics, upon which I gave my views so much to his entertainment that he showed more cheerfulness than I had ever seen in him before. All of a sudden, one of his secretaries appeared, and whispered something of importance into his ear, whereupon the Duke rose and retired with the official into another chamber. Now the Duchess had sent to see what His Excellency was doing, and her page brought back this answer. The Duke is talking and laughing with Benvenuto, and is in excellent good humour. When the Duchess heard this, she came immediately to the wardrobe, and not finding the Duke there, took a seat beside us, after watching us at work a while, she turned to me with the utmost graciousness, and showed me a necklace of large and really very fine pearls. On being asked by her what I thought of them, I said it was in truth a very handsome ornament. Then she spoke as follows. I should like the Duke to buy them for me. So I beg you, my dear Benvenuto, to praise them to him as highly as you can. At these words... I disclosed my mind to the Duchess with all the respect I could, and answered, My lady, I thought this necklace of pearls belonged already to your most illustrious excellency. Now that I am aware that you have not yet acquired them, it is right, uh, nay more, it is my duty to utter what I might otherwise have refrained from saying, namely, that my mature professional experience enables me to detect very grave faults in the pearls, and for this reason I could never advise your excellency to purchase them. She replied, The merchant offers them for six thousand crowns, and were it not for some of those trifling defects you speak of, the rope would be worth over twelve thousand. To this I replied, That even were the necklace of quite flawless quality, I could not advise anyone to bid up to five thousand crowns for it, for pearls are not gems, pearls are but fish's bones, which in the course of time must lose their freshness. Diamonds, rubies, emeralds and sapphires, on the contrary, never grow old. These four are precious stones, and these it is quite right to purchase. When I had thus spoken, the Duchess showed some signs of irritation and exclaimed, I have a mind to possess these pearls, so prithee, take them to the Duke and praise them up to the skies, 
even if you have to use some words beyond the bounds of truth, speak them to do me service. It will be well for you. I have always been the greatest friend of truth and foe of lies, yet, compelled by necessity, unwilling to lose the favour of so great a princess, I took those confounded pearls sorely against my inclination, and went with them over to the next room, whither the duke had withdrawn. No sooner did he set eyes upon me than he cried, O Benvenuto, what are you about here? I uncovered the pearls and said, My lord, I am come to show you a most splendid necklace of pearls, of the rarest quality, and truly worthy of your excellency. I do not believe it would be possible to put together eighty pearls which could show better than these do in a necklace. My counsel, therefore, is that you should buy them, for they are in good sooth miraculous. He responded on the instant, I do not choose to buy them. They are not pearls of the quality and goodness you affirm. I have seen the necklace, and they do not please me. Then I added, Pardon me, prince. These pearls exceed in rarity and beauty any which were ever brought together for a necklace. The duchess had risen and was standing behind a door, listening to all I said. Well, when I had praised the pearls a thousandfold more warmly than I have described above, the duke turned towards me with a kindly look and said, Oh, my dear Benvenuto, I know that you have an excellent judgment in these matters. If the pearls are as rare as you certify, I should not hesitate about their purchase, partly to gratify the duchess and partly to possess them, seeing I have always need of such things, not so much for her grace as for the various uses of my sons and daughters. When I heard him speak thus, having once begun to tell fibs, I stuck to them with even greater boldness. I gave all the color of truth I could to my lies, confiding in the promise of the duchess to help me at the time of need. More than two hundred crowns were to be my commission on the bargain, and the duchess had intimated that I should receive so much, but I was firmly resolved not to touch a farthing in order to secure my credit, and convinced the duke I was not prompted by avarice. Once more, His Excellency began to address me with the greatest courtesy. I know that you are consummate judge of these things. Therefore, if you are the honest man I always thought you, tell me now the truth. Thereat, I flushed up to my eyes, which at the same time filled with tears, and said to him, My lord, if I tell your most illustrious excellency the truth, I shall make a mortal foe of the duchess. This will oblige me to depart from Florence, and my enemies will begin at once to pour contempt upon my Perseus, which I have announced as a masterpiece to the most noble school of your illustrious excellency. Such being the case, I recommend myself to your most illustrious excellency. End of section 16